Hey, uh, welcome aboard. This is Mike. This is Bob. And here's another episode of Comparing Apples to Oranges, the podcast where we take two things in the same category that don't belong in the same genre and using a special set of criteria, decide which one's better. Bob, you got a great category this week. I really enjoyed both of these movies, which sometimes that's not that doesn't happen for us. Sometimes we really enjoy one. Sometimes we the really don't. Is sometimes just dog shit. Yeah. Or the rare case where like we watch two zero percent tomato meter ones and like we enjoy watching both of them, but not for the same reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very unique reasons for each. No, this was two very good movies. Um, although I will say this subverts the uh, intention of this podcast a bit because they are the same genre this episode um, uh, with I, distinct I'm, I'm happy themes. to argue against that uh, <laughs> we'll get to, into that to make it work <laughs> um, but I think it's it's important to remember like the best part of watching two things is like finding a connection between them and this one had um I expected a handful of things to be there that weren't there, and I was kind of thrown off that, like... Uh, so we watched two horror movies with kids as per, like that play a predominant role. Not Featuring children. Not necessarily the like main character is a kid, but or the perspective of a kid, but like kids are a major factor in the story. Um... And so uh, when I think of like that, I think of The Omen, I think of um, The Exorcist, and then maybe like It for like It Volume 1, what do you call that? Part 1? Yeah, sure. Part 1, yeah, that makes sense. Um, But like, that's not what, I I don't know, I got a lot of Stephen King vibes whenever you talk about like kids and horror, because that's kind of his... Yeah. One of the things he does where Maybe, it's like... Yeah, you get there, like The Shining in that category. Yeah, he takes like a regular kid and puts them in like a terrible situation and that kind of heightens the scariness of it, you know? Which is like sort of the same thing with The Omen and The Exorcist. You're like, what if this really, you know, innocent child is actually totally evil? And you're like, oh, that's so much scary, yeah. you know? Um, this isn't just a kid. It's like a really fucked up kid. Right. Some would say like spawn of satan you know Mm -hmm. uh i don't i'm not a huge fan of the that's not true i'm not uh, i'm not not a fan of it i'm not necessarily scared if it's a kid like creepy kids don't necessarily uh that that's not like a horror trigger for me you know um i would say anything claustrophobic that's my number one to like my number one go-to scary thing is like claustrophobia oh yeah um yeah uh the descent First one that comes to mind. So scary. Uh, any Anytime somebody's like, you know, trapped, uh, that's always scary. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre does a really good job of like, your, it feels claustrophobic because yeah. of the way it's shot, right. you know, and she doesn't know how yeah, to get out of this house. The quality of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, any, any sort of jump scare thing these days, uh, they're already, they're like... They've somehow figured out how to keep making them scary because, like, the yeah. first couple, the scare? you're That's just like scary. You're like, oh, it's a cat. You're like, oh, it's, it's a cat. Yeah, whatever. Uh, and then, 
You got me with that loud bit of music there. Yeah, you get. We're all having fun, you know. Which is like why you know I think that horror movies in theaters are a little bit better. You know, horror movies at home with the lights out. Mm. If you can get the creep factor going, that's what I look for more. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, horror movies can be ruined in a theater. Yeah, that's a good point. What do you think of when you hear horror movie? Like, let's start with that. Like, is that going to be a slasher? Is it going to be a ghost story? Is it going to have a monster? Like, what when you hear that, what's one like a quintessential movie comes to to mind, or quintessential maybe genre or like series or? Yeah. So for me, I mean, when I think horror itself as a genre as personally i am a huge horror fan i'm a, I call myself a connoisseur of horror mm-hmm. um that's why you watch Clowntergeist, right yep remember mm-hmm. Clowntergeist? that's why i currently watch it uh, <laughs> bi-weekly um that's so much <laughs> if i mean if i'm thinking horror like what's the first thing i think of is probably to me the greatest horror movie ever made texas chainsaw massacre it's so or good. probably something like a slasher, mm-hmm. something like that. Something, if I want like a scary horror movie, yeah, just like a gritty, nasty, mm-hmm. bloody horror movie. Probably a guy with a with a knife or a chainsaw or something, okay. killing people or a hook, yeah, um, or a power drill. Um, now that said, yeah, like I like monster movies. I ghost movies are fun. Um, the, the found footage genre over the past 20 or so years has had some real gems. Um, but if I'm, you know, first thing I think of with horror is a killer chasing people, usually with a woman as a protagonist. Right. And, like, I think, because sometimes I want to put zombie movies, in, like, good zombie movies in with horror, but, like, yeah. that's not, it's usually... Like survival, which is different. Yeah, usually what Mm. I think of when I think of horror. Now, like, I would definitely agree that zombie movies are horror movies. Right. They're meant to be scary, Mm -hmm. and there is a monster. However, you want to define that monster, you know, uh, the Leatherface is a human, but he's a monster. Right. Michael Myers is a human, but he's a monster. These are horror movies. And then, but then, sort of, sometimes. Like, when the series keeps going, or, like, reaction films sort of thing, or like a copycat film, they're trying to cash in on that, and they sort of lose the plot, and, like, it just becomes an unstoppable force. Oh, yeah. And it's, I, I don't know. Because, like, the, the, the best part of the first Nightmare on Elm Street is because it's, like, he is so unusual. Like, he's just a really evil guy. Oh, yeah. And then, now... The, the first one's terrifying. Yeah, you just conceptually. Uh, but you then fall it's like when a demon hunts you. The premise of Dream Warriors, and you're like, well, that's I don't. <laughs> are we supposed to be scared now? Like, I don't understand is when. Is Freddy the protagonist <laughs> now? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen it. I want to see it. I just know Dream the Warriors pre- is good. The premise just uh, boggles yeah, yeah. my mind. That's a fun one. Um, but I think another like really good example of like when it get kind of gets lost is like the the modern. Um, Halloween movies where like you mm. watch him get murdered like you watch Michael Myers like get stabbed in the chest 40 times yeah am I thinking of the right one is that did Rob Zombie do the the new Friday the 13th he did he did two 
He did two Halloween movies. Okay, there that's... is also 13th remake. So it's the modern Halloween ones, and it's, you, it's, it's a young, like, tiny girl stabs Jason... No, Michael Myers is Halloween, right? Yes. Stabs Michael Myers, like, 50 times in the chest with a knife, and then she, like, rolls off and, like, is crying, and then he sits back up and, like... Well, I just don't know what's happening then. Like, well, I mean, that, that happened to my friend Jeff one time. Yeah. So but that, that can happen. Jeff's a badass. Yeah. I look up to him. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's a little silly. But, but So what do you think of when I say horror movie? I want to think of, like, old classic horror, mm-hmm. you know, like... Which were, like, the monster movies, and then you always think of, like... Universal monsters. And then, like, the German movies where, like, they talk Mm. about the weird angle and, like, the... The the music, Yeah, but, like... Vampire and... Yeah. But that's that's sort... I I didn't see a lot of those. I just know about them from, like, you know, film classes and, like, tropes that they built in to the... To make it a genre at all because, like, it's horror was schlock, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's something that's... You know, grindhouse quality or worse, and then you would see like I saw a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, expecting it to because it's so over the top, and I'm like a teenager and like not. I'm like I want to see if I can get scared by this stuff, but like then you're like this is a really well told story that's like very unsettling. Yeah, and I think that that's what I found like good horror is like. Yes, it's scary, but it also like you don't feel good afterwards. It's under your skin. Yeah. I mean, Texas Chainsaw, like, it, it'll make you feel sick. Right. I mean, it's... And that... I don't want to say it's unique to Texas Chainsaw, because I think some other movies have done this, but, like, the way it was shot, like, it almost looks documentary. Yeah. Like, it's... The graininess. Yeah. yeah. And just the the, the... the the verite aspect of the acting, it, it's just... It's all very realistic. The set design is just sick. And... Not to belabor the point, there's a scene when, like, there's no violence happening besides this woman being effectively, like, she's being held against her will. But, like, there's no active, like, she's not being murdered, she's not being, she's not being chainsawed. Because, like, when you hear, oh, you're like, oh, I guess I'm going to watch somebody get... Buckets of blood. Yeah, you think... there really isn't in Texas Chainsaw. Not in the first one, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's a scene where, like, they're all sitting at the table, and this creepy old <laughs> man is, like sucking on her finger that's bleeding and you're just like i don't know what's happening this is the worst thing i've ever seen in my Cause, life because you're like oh yeah family of cannibals i'm just expecting like you know like some nice you remember trauma chunks of flesh yeah like them eating like stuff from a bucket yeah. you know but like it's just everyone's like sitting bucket they're sitting at the kitchen table and mm-hmm. she's i think she i think they bound her that's and like and then this old man is just like they cut her finger and he's sucking the blood from it. And you're just like, ah, this is because it's, oh. oh, why it's why a. Is he just like lapping at the it? word it's I want to use oh. is visceral. Like yes. it's it it's very visceral. Yeah, it's the you know it's just sweaty, too much, grimy. It, it's very. It's the movie's full of just human physicality. Yeah. And so I think when I think horror, I think of something that has jump scares or is scary, but is also just like it's it's something other, totally normal and completely flipped 
upside down or something that's so out of the ordinary that like it makes you uncomfortable like right. that's that's what i like i you want to kind of say with jaws you know because like it's this nice island town yeah. and it's but then like you a kid gets eaten and you're just like like no kids can't die in horror movies there's rules <laughs> it's just like no kid gets eaten in like one of the most like harrowing yeah. five second passages of a film and you're like steven spielberg would do this to me mu- like uh, yeah that scene is just seared into my mind the music cuts and you just see a fountain of yeah. blood out of the ocean this is the guy people. that does et <laughs> like, and yeah it's this 10 year old kid and, I mean, yeah, that scene, when you watch the movie, that scene sticks with you. And so, like, it's unfair to say all horror movies should be able to do this, because that's... Of course. It's like saying all action movies should be Cobra. It's insane. You yeah. know, you can't put that on everybody. It's like all comedies should be Step Brothers. Or, or well, Cobra again. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember, he ate that pizza. You can only cut a pizza with a piece of scissors so many times. But, and I think that's, like, that's not why I go to horror is to expect this like from every movie but it's like if if i can get one of those aspects from any horror movie because it's usually like it's it's usually like some it's a director's first go around you know like there's a lot of guys who like peter jackson that was his first movie was a horror movie right and brain brain dead so that's definitely one of them i can't remember if it's oh and then Sam, I think Sam Raimi did Dead Alive, or something. One of that's one of them, yeah. where the guy uses the the lawnmower. Brain, if I'm right, Brain Dead and Dead Alive are the same movie. Okay, there's like, but one's the Australian title, one's the North American title. Okay, then it's something like that. Okay, well, Sam Raimi did the Evil Dead ones then. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was confusing. But anyway, like, it's sort of like. It's usually low budget, and you have to be creative. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what I look for in a movie is, you know, somebody's doing some work, and then the audience has to do some work, and that's, you know, that's how you sort of... If you can get the audience to buy in, then it's going to be a good movie. Right. And that's another thing I love about horror is that... So, so I think a lot of, I don't know if it's either studios or filmmakers, think that horror is easy to make. Because it's very, I don't know who said it, it might have been maybe John Carpenter, said that horror isn't a genre, it's a reaction. Oh. That horror and comedy are the two genres of movie that they're reactions. The movie's trying to make you feel something, react in a particular way. Um, but also horror can be made very cheaply. Yeah. There are plenty of really good low budget horror movies. Right. So, you know, a lot of people think, hey, I can make this horror movie for eight hundred thousand bucks. Right. And a lot of them suck, but every once in a while you get these these gems. Um, so that that's attraction to me is there's this huge variety of films to choose from. It's like, you know, almost any filmmaker worth their weight has tried it at least once. Right. Um, so you have all these different stylistic choices. But for me, what I love about it is I, I feel like in any decent horror movie, if it isn't scary, there's at least an ambiance of fear and dread. Right. There are aspects to set design and music and pacing that just get you in this mood of like, hmm, something bad's going to happen. And 
then yeah, something bad does happen and it either makes you scared or it doesn't, but that's the horror genre. And they I don't think, always work. I think that's a really good like point to bring up because like every Marvel movie, something bad's gonna happen, but you're not scared of it. It's not a horror movie. Yeah. Like because they and you know, same could be said for like an action movie or you know, because like bad stuff's happening to John McClane, but you're not scared for him. You might have suspense, but no, that's yeah. not the it, same as a horror. You might call it a thriller, right? But thrillers aren't horror, exactly. Per se. And I think that like, but you know, if you can make the same thing like where the the antagonist is human in both. Like, why is it different? Like, because the the uh, like the the dread, like that that is a mm. tangible thing that you're going to feel in a horror movie if it's done well, right? And yeah, I mean there that I mean now you're talking about like fine lines between genre, mm-hmm. and, you know what defines a genre, and, right? You know that that can be a whole conversation, yeah. But I like I to me a, like a definition that I've heard is that a, a horror movie has to all horror movies include a monster. Um, I heard some people say it has to include the supernatural somehow, which, you know, I don't know if, again, like Scream mm-hmm. involves the supernatural, right? but maybe you could say Billy is supernaturally evil. Right. Yeah, it, it's something. I wouldn't say that, but you could he, maybe say unnatural. Could, yeah. Unnatural. Yeah. That might be a better way to say it. Yeah. Scream's a, Scream's a great one because it. It seems like it should fo- everything should follow the rules, and that's sort of why it's scary. It's because it's it, it's commenting, but it's also like right. It, it was one of those first movies to actually lay out the rules of all the movie, all the slashing movies that right. came before it, and still make you uncomfortable while still playing into those rules, right. but then subverting others and keeps you guessing till the end. And yeah, because I mean, it's a wonderful movie. It, it's so the premise is so simple. And the execution seems, because it's done well, is simple. And that's why right. it works. Yeah. Seems very simple, yeah. On paper, it's a very simple movie. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I could talk about Scream for another hour. <laughs> so let's take that energy and put it into the two movies we watched. So we're, we were watching movies, horror movies with kids, and we watched... Uh, David Cronenberg? David Cronenberg's? His, his movie, The Brood... And then Guillermo, Guillermo, Guillermo. del Toro's uh, The Devil's Backbone. Um, I had not heard of either of these movies. Mm. I had heard of both of the directors and uh, am somewhat familiar with both of them. I, I've definitely seen more uh, del Toro than I have Cronenberg. I had heard of both of these movies just from reading lists and imdbs or whatever sure um had never seen them of course but yeah i'm a huge cronenberg fan very big del toro fan i mean i would put them both in i don't know my top 10 15 filmmakers yeah um love those guys so really happy to see these and and fill out their oeuvre yeah. Oh, speaking of, uh, they're both um, members of the Criterion Collection. Yes. Yes, both movies. So um, members of the, I think there's now like a thousand movies in the Criterion whoa. Collection. Not, not to say that that like 
I think that just means that the people who are doing who are on the panel or whatever are recognizing that like a, a good movie there means is, a lot of different things. There, yeah. I, I think as far as I know, the purpose of the Criterion Collection is yeah the 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 panel at Criterion decides that when they add a movie to the collection that this movie is a movie that contributes something meaningful to the art of film. Whether it's the writing, direction, cinematography, maybe it's just the most important movie from Venezuela, or maybe it was just like some super important movie from 1922. Um, that, of course, doesn't apply to these movies, but, uh, you know, I think these are these selections, I think, were more about the filmmaker. Right. Um, I don't think either of these movies are these filmmakers' best movie. Right. Um, but they're important movies in these very important filmmakers' body of work. That makes sense. Um, so, which one do you want to talk about first, plot-wise? Let's uh, let's go chronological order. Let's start with The Brood. Okay, so uh, this is categorized as a uh, 1979 Canadian psychological body horror sure. film. So, body horror, I think, got coined by... Cronenberg's fans He's or critics rather certainly I don't know where the term itself was coined but I know Cronenberg is considered like he's the foremost yeah. body horror he's supposed director. to be, like when you say that you think of him and vice versa yeah so that's His already are disgusting one one sort of uh like argument that this isn't necessarily like just a horror movie this is a specific subgenre called psychological body horror there's definitely psychology going on lots of body horror too (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so the premise is uh man and his wife are currently going through a very messy divorce um and a custody battle over their small so she's going to school i think she's like five maybe i think first grade yeah i think she's in first grade so six or seven year old daughter um the the wife, or I guess mother, is currently going through, like, experimental psychotherapy. Very, yeah, experimental, like, on-premise, sequestered away yes. uh, psychotherapy. It's So, uh, the psychotherapist is, is running something called the Soma Free Institute. Uh, he encourages patients with mental disturbances to let go of their suppressed emotions through psychological changes to their bodies and a technique he calls psychoplasmics, um, which includes a lot of role play uh, by both mm. members of the, yeah. um, like, uh, psycho- the therapist psych- the Yeah, the psychotherapy session. Roles. Yes. Um, and then we eventually find out that there are physical manifestations of these emotions, whether it be, like, sorrow or rage or you know fear trauma. yeah um and we we find out that they are this is when some of the body horror rolls in it's like they're gr- like growths and the yeah. the one tumor like growths and they're not pleasant to look at and they grow from your neck and all this other weird stuff uh but it's also um apparently autobiographical in many senses like David Cronenberg went through a messy divorce and um, custody battle with his ex-wife, 
It alleged. So this is apparently not apocryphal because it was in an interview that he did. But he said that he watched the drama Kramer versus Kramer, which I believe has uh, Demi Moore and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, you got it. That's yeah. definitely it. Um, and it, he said he was disillusioned by its optimistic depiction of a familial <laughs> breakdown after a couple separation. So he says, well, why don't I do this movie called The Brood? <laughs> so, um, I don't know how much I want to give away. Uh, but I do want to read this one phrase. Uh, the police autopsy of the dwarf child reveals a multitude of bizarre anatomical anomalies. The creature is asexual, supposedly colorblind, naturally toothless, and devoid of a navel, indicating no known means of natural human birth. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, and then I'm sure we'll bring up the part when... Um, the mom licks the babies. We'll bring that up in a little bit. I think we can bring that up in a little bit. Okay. Um, so that's... I, I don't want to... How much should we give away because of the I movie? I think we should just go full Red Hot Chili Peppers and just give it away, give it away, give it away. Now. I mean, it is like 42 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to spoil this 1979 movie. So, uh, fun fact, it was um, shot primarily in Toronto on a budget of $1.5 million in 70s money and grossed over $5 million in Solid. Uh, both Canadian and American money. I don't know what that translates to. So, like, <laughs> it's either $30 million or $8 million. I don't know what the difference it's is. probably a ton of money. Yeah. No um, so, the movie is starts with one of these, like, experimental therapy sessions yeah. and... You're just like, I don't know what I'm in for. I know it's going to, it's deeply unsettling though. As soon as it opens, I'm like, all right, this doctor is a fucking creep. He's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. He is, he's the main heavy in this movie. Puppet master. He looks so evil. Yeah. Manipulative. Yeah. Oliver North is just, he, he just oozes menace. Yeah. But he it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's chewing the scenery. It looks like. Not full chew yet. He's playing a, full chew. he's playing a character who is so, um, self-involved and self-righteous that like, it doesn't feel like he's overplaying it. Oh no. Is and, what, and is he, what I got. Even without saying anything, just, he just, he's so menacing. Just his presence. There's just like a look in his face that you're like, he looks like a bad guy. Right. And I mean, the movie plays into that for most of the running time. Right. And so the premise is like, uh, the protagonist, I guess, is the husband and father who's going through this messy divorce. Yeah. Uh, or he's sort of uh, like, call, the, yeah, he's, he's the he's person the main, we follow. Right, yeah. He's, he's the POV character. He's not necessarily that sympathetic because no. it's like Cronenberg's just like, this is a shitty situation a yeah. guy's in, so he feels shitty and he doesn't handle the situation well because he's overreacting. But anyway, his young daughter, he goes to pick her up from this place that she's staying with her mother for like quick visitation and she's got bruises on her and she and so he flips out and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna close this place down because um other you know her mom's doing this either the mom is or it's or or neglect so you're like okay well i don't i don't quite understand the brood part yet and then like we find out that um 
we we eventually get to see some of the ex-wife and she's lost it she is going through a mental breakdown she's stressed out she's totally bought into this therapist's like madness full break and with reality at least during her sessions and she's fully into the into the role like manic depressive episodes like screaming crying shouting whimpering like the again doesn't feel like she's overacting feels like the the actress is choosing all of this stuff because she knows that if you're like she this person is being tricked like she's being Mm -hmm. fed fed you know this bill of goods and like just having to try to survive it and then we find out like her mother is like this uh like alcoholic and like self-involved and then we find out about her like i think her is it her dad was his sort of like neglectful i think he's also an alcoholic and you're just like okay this is he might be an alcoholic the scene like when the dad drops off the the little girl at the the ma or the little girl's grandma's house yeah she is drinking like five fingers of scotch yeah. in a glass and then refilling and ref- just slamming scotch. and so you're kind of like okay well i can see this is not a movie where like it's so easy to just be like oh the the wife's the bad guy it's like right this is oh, a well, the wife what life was informed right. by god knows what trauma she went through as a right. child and neglectful or possibly abusive childhood and you're like okay like i I, i'll give it to the horror movie already it's we're not just playing with cardboard cutouts we're like people are three-dimensional this is a moving train of like we can't place blame any certain way and then like then there's like this complete surreal murder just like a flip and it's it's sort of like i don't think we see a member of the brood this is a very short movie. I don't think we see him for like half the movie. Oh, like it's yeah, yeah, it's think, just yeah, about halfway. Character development, scene setting, very, and then very slow beginning. An insanely violent, surreal experience. And then again, we don't see this dwarf. Fucking wild. The grandma just gets murdered. Murdered by a six year old with a meat tenderizer. And then like the daughter sees this and she's understandably traumatized into into silence and she's already sort of like messed up because like her parents are getting a divorce and she doesn't understand it and you know so all this stuff but anyway like then we see the cops come and then the the ex-husband of the wife's mom gets murdered by Yes. This dwarf child. And we find out that the the little member of the brood had been, like, hiding there the whole time. You're like, that makes me... I know I just watched two people just get completely murdered, but that's the worst part. (laughs) Is that this little guy was just hanging out there the whole time. Covered in blood. Yeah, same little kid. Just, ugh. And so... But they kill. They, do they shoot? It's very unclear whether this, shoot is, the kid? whether this is like a demon kid, or if this is just like some messed up like real little kid. And so, like, I think one of the first thing I always go back to M Night Shyamalan's signs when it whenever they're like, oh, you can't show the alien. You know, you can't show the scary thing. Mm-hmm. And 
the first murder, you're just like, I don't know what's going on. Is this that, like the way it's shot? Is yeah, you, you don't get a good look at the kid's face, and then it's like all very kinetic, and then you see the alien in signs, and you're like, oh shit, yeah, cool, and you're like, that is actually waste, like that's I, an alien, yeah, it's it's like, and that's the same thing here. You're just like, that is a that's a just a little kid who's murdering. What's going on? Pretty and then they kill that kid. kid. They like they just knock him out with. I think they shoot him. I can't remember. Or they beat him to death. Something ridiculous. And then, like, the kids just keep... The kid looks... I mean, like, there's, like, no definition in the skin on its face. Yeah. Is the cleft palate. Right. Uh, But, like, his eyes are all, like, real, like, hooded... Not hooded eyes, just, like, real heavy brow. Mm -hmm. No teeth, apparently. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't... It's very unsettling. It didn't talk. It just sort of, like, grunted. Yeah. Like, animal uh, grunted. And so, the movie moves forward with, like, trying to figure it out. And, like, why is this happening? Like, why are these people being attacked? And then, like, it's hinted at that the, uh, the, the little girl's dad might be, like, romantically interested in the teacher... And so then the teacher gets super murdered. In class. Two little kids sneak in. Two of these, two, two of the brood, like, come in and, like, murder this teacher in her classroom in front of all in the class kids. class with, like, 20 first graders. And then just take the little just girl out. to death. And then they just hold the little girl by the hands and just escort her out and walk water. up the highway <laughs> to the mom, which, like... But it was the 70s. I think people walked on highways all the time. So it's like Canada. Yeah. Not that suspicious. Um, These little kids walking somewhere. And then so Very like. unsettling though. And then like we find out that. No, we don't find out yet. So like the, yet. the the little girl's dad goes up to like investigate. He's like, I'm shutting you down. Something weird's happening. Yeah, because they know something's happening. Like they won't, they won't let the dad see. Right. Because it's an. I Im- know they don't let the dad tell his daughter that the mom was oh, murdered. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So he's yeah. like, "I'm coming back here tomorrow," and then he gets capped. So then the dad is like, "Well, I gotta get up there. Right. Something's going on." Right. And he's right. And we're like, we're initially like Oliver Reed, the the therapist. We're like. Because we see him get a gun. And we're like, okay, like, this is bad. And then, like, he's confronted by the little girl's dad. And he's just like, yep, fucked up. Like, (laughs) I'm real sorry. This got way out of control. I'm going to give you, I'm going to go in with this gun and fix this. And we're like, whoa, that's a weird heat. Like, I guess this is, like, it's not a heel heel turn. It's the, like. Yeah, a face turn? Right. (laughs) I guess. Although he's just like. I didn't know psychoplasmics would do this. And we're yeah. just like, wait, what? <laughs> and then we see, like, he goes into this, like, dorm. It's like the brood nest. Full of so little speak. kids. And there's, like, you. but you walk in and it's just a bunch of little kids' snowsuits and, like, bunk beds. And you're like, oh, cool. But, the like, the window had been shattered because that's how two of the brood escaped to go kidnap the girl. And you're just like... And then he, they're all asleep, you know, as brood sleep. And he gets the little girl, and then he, like, drops, he kicks, well, it, so makes I a think, noise. I think the brood, I think, is basically inert. 
unless directed by the queen. I could argue that the brood. I think the brood acts on the queen's fears and angers. I I think that they are born of her fear and anger. I don't. I can't yeah, decide. I think that's also true. I can't decide if they are specifically instructed or if like they eventually have a mind of their own. Only because they they try. No, you're right, because, like, at that one moment, like, in the trailer when the little girl's trying to hold the door shut and, the, like, yeah. the arms punch through, yeah. they're like, well, I guess they're going to kill her. Because, like, the mom does say at that point, she's like, well, if if you're going to take her away from me, I'm not going to let you do that. And you're just like, yeah. oh, Uh-oh. you're going to stop him? You're like, no, nah, you're going to kill the kid. And you're like, oh, oh, shit. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they, they act... I think on the subconscious yes. fears and anxieties of the queen, right. i.e., the mom, the little girl's mom. Um, so that's that's the movie in a nutshell. We'll definitely go back to talk about like when we when we discuss the uh, categories to like talk about scariness and all the other stuff. Um, let's let's pivot. Or did you have more to say before I <laughs> transition? You hit a lot of good stuff. Yeah, no, I think it's a good time to to pivot. So we're going to pivot. We'll touch on the, this is Guillermo del Toro's 2001. Uh, it's called a gothic horror film. I definitely throw ghost movie in there. Oh, of course. Yeah, um, definitely a ghost movie. The Devil's Backbone, uh, which it, it's the same in Spanish. Um, it's not one of those movies that, like, because it's translated, it it's totally different. Yeah. Um, so this movie's set in Spain during 1939, during the final year of the Spanish Civil War, and you might be like, hey, Guillermo del Toro, didn't you I already do Pan's Labyrinth? And this one follows he a boy. He didn't do it. Yeah, this he is, had yet to do that's it. That's in 2006. <laughs> um, okay, so also, I, I had to look this up. I was under the impression that the movie, The Orphanage, which is also a Spanish language movie, had Guillermo del Toro on it at some point. Yeah. I watched The Orphanage a few years ago thinking basically it was The Devil's Backbone and I was like this doesn't seem like a Del Toro and then I was like oh wait it, it wasn't. I'm, it was just a Spanish ghost horror movie. But I so I was I thought this was one of those things where it's like Quentin Tarantino presents Jet Li's hero. Yeah. You know and so I like looked it up and it is in fact like like, like we directed. said has nothing it's it's by a different guy so they had a uh the orphanage is a debut feature of spanish filmmaker j.a bayona uh the film script was written by sergio sanchez in 96 and brought to the attention of bayona in 2004 and at that point bayona asked his longtime friend director del toro to help produce the film and to double its budget and filming time which this is in 2007, so right after like Pan's Labyrinth was a incredible international hit. Oh yeah. So Each. because the orphanage is a Spanish language film about an orphanage, which this movie was as <laughs> yes. well, and I'm like, okay, so we got the Spanish Civil War and orphanages. Eh, you kind of is, is this was, your wheelhouse? Was like, the orphanage also a period piece? It was, but like I don't think spo- it was Spanish Civil spo- War. The spoilers are like the ghost came from the like an olden time, like the yeah, the actual okay, film right. took place in present day, yeah. if my memory serves. And I think you're right. but like the 
the founding of the orphanage, the kid with the, like the bag over his head. Right. That was like Spanish Civil War era. Yeah. yeah. But so um, th- this follows the. So we have a in this one the uh protagonist is a young boy. We sort of see the majority of the movie through his eyes yeah. and an old man's eyes, and sort of like uh this this is he eighteen. Um, Jacinto? Uh, Jacinto, I would say he's more like 25. Okay, and then, so he's sort of in between, so like, the orphan, uh, the little boy who shows up, and then like, Jacinto is like him, like, he's a foil of him, he was like, if you'd stayed at the orphanage your whole life, and then the old man who's sort of like, had a terrible childhood, and then helped found and support the orphanage. So we sort of see like, the same character, three different like iterations three phases of life almost and we see a lot of the movie through those those three characters um so there isn't necessarily one main character but the story starts when this little boy shows up at the orphanage and that's when we sort of meet everybody um apparently uh this Guillermo del Toro wrote this first draft while he was writing uh his first movie Kronos which yeah. is a vampire movie, apparently. I didn't know that. It, yeah, you know, I haven't seen it. I Ooh, think put it on the list. it's um, vampire-ish. I think, I don't know if it's a vampire. I think that has to do something with the consumption of blood, though. Okay, well. well but yeah, he, he started uh, writing this, I think, before he started writing Kronos. And then it says that it was originally in the Mexican Revolution... And didn't focus on a child's ghost. We're going to talk about Santi in a second. But a Christ with three arms. Uh, so you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I remember. This is the guy that did Hellboy 2. He just kind of <laughs> goes real weird. And he says, there are many iterations of the story. Some of which included antagonists who are a doddering old man with a needle. Scary. Don't know what that means. A dissected ghost with black eyes as a caretaker. Scary. And then a bean... Beings who are red from head to foot. Very scary. I don't know what any of that means. Um, I bet Del Toro would have done it well, though. He, he that guy can make some monsters. Very unset. Like, remember that eye guy? I guess that's oh. pan. That's not pan. That's like the pale no, man pan. or pale something. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pan is the satyr. Uh, yeah. That's right. So, um, Guillermo del Toro did a pretty good job of, like, telling a a very involved story about war from just the perspective of like this orphanage. Like it, it can like it, it's an anti, so they mentioned anti-fascist, but it's obviously yeah. like anti-war film as well. But right. it's, you're like, Oh, but it's also just about like these boys trying to survive and friendship. I got a lot of Stephen King vibes from this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, yeah. It's definitely about, I was, yeah. One of the themes is, yeah, growing up, basically, yeah, a boy becoming a man during war time, and you know all the things that can do uh, to someone. The 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 particular horror of growing up during or being a child, I should say, during war, and all the things that you don't understand as a child. Um, but it's also yeah, it's a very good ghost story. Yeah. Also. Um, there's yeah, the a, entirety of the movie takes place in the orphanage and on the deserted road leading the orphanage back right. to town. Um, um, it's all very contained. 
what do, what do we want to talk about with this movie plot-wise? Um, so there is several boys, um, and you get, you get, like, first day of, like, middle school vibes, then you also get, like, Lord of the Flies, like, having to survive. Some strong Lord of the Flies vibes, yeah. The, 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 um, your, your main kid gets there, I forget his name at the moment, um... Meets the bully kid, and there's a group of other kids. He gets introduced. He has to go on a challenge his first night to get water from the kitchen. Um, so he challenges the bully to go with him, and the bully abandons them, and then that's where we see... The ghost. We get our first encounter with the ghost. There's also a bomb that was dropped. Uh, and it's, it's a fascist bomb. Giant that fell nuclear, unexploded yeah, just, directly in the middle of the courtyard. And they pray to the bomb to not explode. And there's also the the day the bomb dropped is also when this little boy who they claim is a ghost uh, disappeared. Right. And we find right. out no more about that later. No one has seen Santi since yeah. the night the bomb was dropped. Um. So the 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 title, the Devil's Backbone, comes from like this. Uh, scene between the doctor who helps run the orphanage he's this old man um he keeps keeps a collection of jars with preserved infants dead from spina bifida hence the devil's backbone of the title i don't because like the the backbone was very pronounced in these like uh fetuses each jar even i think exposed yeah at least in the preserved and then uh, each jar is full of a special rum called limbo water because these babies were um, not baptized. So, according to the Catholic Church, they would exist in limbo because they would not. No one would let them go to hell, but they, <laughs> there's no way they're going to heaven. Ain't going to heaven, baby. Little sinner babies. It's also rumored to have healing properties. This special limbo water, and superstitious villagers buy it. Buy the bottle, which in turn any sort of malady. It supports the orphanage. So you're just like. What does this have to do with it? Like, like I, I just kept... I'm like, it's pretty bad... Don't get me wrong, it's a badass title. It is. But it, it it does not make sense. I almost feel like that scene was, like, a throwaway to justify the title. Because, like, this is not about the devil. And it's not about no. a backbone. Unless that's a... Like, if that's an idiom, which... Because it seemed very specific be. in the movie. Because it's like, oh no, the devil's backbone is like, these babies died. And you can see their spines. Right. So that's, you know, only the devil would kill, like, an innocent baby. But, like, like it also could be, like, at one point I was trying to search it, and it's like, oh, it's like, it's a it's a thin road, it's a thin bridge between things. I'm like, that would make sense, I guess, because, like, you could easily, with the war going on, it's so easy to become a monster, and it's so... It's like there's this narrow bridge from between, the beginning to the end of right. the war that you have to cross to... Um, make it out unscathed. But I think it's just supposed to be a, a badass title. And it's like, there's no devil, is. there's just a ghost. Yeah. Because, so, you have you have the, the boys mm-hmm. and this ghost story. You also have uh, Jacinto, who's, I guess, the caretaker. He's like, the, so he came as an orphan and never left. Nobody right. ever came to claim him any sort of, he does a lot because... He's the, working there now. The the two caretakers are elderly people. He's sort of the one who all all of the physical labor falls to him. Yeah, yeah, it call, yeah. Uh, I think it's Caceres and Carmen mm-hmm. are the older couple who are 
Uh, they're like the administrators of yeah. the school and teachers. Yes. Because it's also a school, the orphanage. Um, and then Jacinto is, yeah, your maintenance man or whatever. And then his girlfriend, who is also on premise. Yeah. Um, but he knows that Carmen and Caceres, Dr. Caceres, are... They have an amount of gold bars. From the rebels? That is supporting the... Well, not the rebels, the the Republican government. Okay. Who at the time was the the existing elected government that was very, I guess in 30s Spanish terms, uh, just like democratic, left-leaning, mm-hmm. um, got a lot of support from like even anarchist and communist groups in Spain at the time. And then the rebels was the military and Francisco Franco, who then... Spoiler alert, they won the war and then ruled Spain under a fascist dictatorship for like 30 years or something, right. 40 years. Very bad. Um, uh, but the yeah, the orphanage houses some large amount of gold that is bankrolling the, the good guys, basically. Right. That lose. That lose. And Jacinto is aware of this. So right. He's plotting to steal the gold for his own riches. Right. Um... And so he, you know, if you want to get a little bit farther in the plot, yeah, Jacinto eventually, he has he, he has an affair with Carmen. He's the, trying to get the gold. The older woman, which she is like... She won't give him the gold. Right. She also doesn't have a leg. She has one yes, missing leg. She has a wooden leg. Uh, press some 1939 prosthesis. So he leaves in a huff. He's pissed off. So he, he's like, I'll see you later. And so the, the older couple and the kids are still there. Jacinto comes back with a couple friends. I'd say in the meantime, Dr. Caceres is very aware that they are now some sort of target right. by the fascists. So he's like, okay, we need to leave. We're going to leave this place. But before they can leave, Jacinto returns with a couple um, compadres to steal the gold. Right. They end up murdering the his girlfriend on the way back. They get back uh, to the orphanage. Well, I think he lit the fire before he left. So he, yeah, because and then so because there all of the orphans are gonna try and like drive away, and so Jacinto blows up their car, but it right. also like kills a handful of people. Yeah. And then the girlfriend goes to try and get help from the nearest village, and that's when she gets killed. Right. Yeah. Then they, um, then they, so Jacinto returns with his friends, he captures the kids, throws them in this room as, as uh, hostages, so to right. speak. And at this point, um, the ghost, Santi, has been creeping through this movie. There's been a couple scenes, but at this point, the story kind of reveals itself that Santi, this child ghost, was murdered by Jacinto with um, uh, the bully kid was in, in the basement. Right, with witnessed it. There's this basement cistern of water where just the two boys, they're just like looking for slugs. Yeah, just goofing. They're hunting, yeah, just goofing around. Jacinto's looking for gold. He catches them. The boy, the Santi, doesn't even know what 
right. wrong. They know they're trust. They're somewhere they shouldn't belong. Right. But they don't get what's happening. And Asinto throws him against the wall, cracks his head open. The Which, kid falls into shock. Like the the violence is intentional, but the murder wasn't. But then, like it immediately turns to instead of like, oh, this is an accident. Asinto's like, oh, I got to cover this up. Oh, I'm gonna tie rocks around his kid's legs and throw him into the cistern. Which is like he was still alive at the time because he was like, yeah, he was having a seizure, right? Because he had brain trauma, a severe head injury. But like there was a doctor on the premise, right? So, um, so yeah, you have this just ultimate tragedy of this child who has no idea why he's being murdered, right? Basically, and he's murdered, and so Cinder comes back. The kids escape from their hostage situation. They fasten sharpened sticks, a la Lord of the Flies. But, like, again, I I know I was supposed to get Lord of the Flies, but it, this was just more Stephen King, where it's just, like, sometimes yeah, when, like, a, when a kid has to kick ass, it's a kid's like Lord gonna kick ass. Lord of the Flies by way of Stephen King. Yeah. Um, then they they stab Hasint, they lure him into the, into the cellar. Santi... The ghost. ...that... Essentially, he's a ghost. He wants right. justice. Right. There, there's a purpose for the ghost. Classic ghost. Of, yeah, great ghost story. So Jacinto's pockets are full of gold. They stab him. They knock him into the cistern. He starts sinking with the gold. He starts emptying his pockets, and then Santi appears. Right. Grabs him. Holds him under. Tops. Yeah. Um, and then the kids escape. And then, you know, happily ever after in Spain. For mm-hmm. the right. Uh, I think... The important thing is, like, this has a ghost in it, but it's not, like, it's not the conjuring, okay? So, like, the ghost, no. the, like you said... The, it's not really the main thing. It, it, the, the ghost is there, but it's, like, we're talking about, like, metaphorical ghosts the whole time. Like, we're talking about, like, childhood trauma 95% yeah. of the time. And, like, we find out the reason the the bully is such an asshole is because, like, his friend got murdered in front of him, yeah. and his life was threatened. He's like, if you say anything, I will kill you. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to be, like, this is going to be pretty toxic here. For the, and also, my parents are dead because I'm an orphan. So, it's like, this is, I guess this isn't going to go great. And, like, then we find out why he's an asshole. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So yeah. And we find yeah. out, like, Jacinto's not necessarily a bad person, but, like, he grew up. And was like very bitter and very yes. like because he his parents never came back for him, and he took that very personally. He grew up under a life of, I mean, it, it, it is twenty years of trauma and yeah. childhood PTSD because of this war. Yeah, and so and then we see like the doctor like never confessed his love before he died and all this stuff and like so it's just like everybody's carrying this like emotional baggage everybody has these ghosts they're dealing with it's an incredibly sad movie yeah um but there's a ghost in it so it's technically gothic horror i don't know because like i think the thing when i think gothic horror i think that did you ever see crimson peak i haven't seen Crimson. that's like the most gothic thing it's like they're in a giant castle and everybody's wearing like these enormously over the top (laughs) clothes i didn't see crimson peak but i saw a woman in black i didn't see that the Is that the one with uh, Dana Radcliffe? Experiamus. Um, yes. Okay. So yeah, I think that's like I I could understand what they're saying, but this is just a this is a period piece with a ghost in it. I don't I don't know, but 
Far yeah, be it for me to tell yeah, them what the categories just, are. It's a big blend of genres that just involves a ghost story through line. Right. And it is scary. Yeah, there's a ghost. There's horror. Yeah, and bad things happen to good people, which but is it's scary. Not, yeah, it's not the straightest horror movie you've ever seen. Definitely has kids in it, though. Can't, kids? Can't argue that. Yeah, kids. Um, Kid ghost. What, what else did you want to mention before we move on to our categories? Um, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, about the ghost himself, Santi, um, like, first of all, I really liked the design of the ghost. Cause you don't, it looks like until you find out what happened to him, it looks like smoke is bleeding from his head and he just has these like dark, it's dark like eyes. clouds yeah. vertically leaving the head right. of this ghost. But it's not like, it's not a cut. It's right. like broken porcelain. Right. The way the ghost is designed, like, is the forehead is shattered. And this is 2001. Like porcelain, with like, with like a, a one piece missing, where just this like black, reddish black cloud. The, the CGI was... Escapes towards the heavens. Very, um, it, it, it wasn't obnoxious. Like, it, it was very subtle. It's not... Lord of the Ring quality, but like it's yeah. not bad. I mean, like the way, like every time that work. we see the ghost, it's a dark place, and like yeah. it's it they 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 know what they're doing. It's not. Oh yeah, they chose the spots very well. It's not Mars attacks. Um, bad. But yeah, I just like so. First of all, the design was great, but I just uh, you know going back kind of into that kind of classic ghost motivation right. piece, like. I just really like that the ghost isn't some terrifying thing or like right. source of all evil. It's just like this sad kid and who who wants to close his story. And the the um, movie itself is bookended with like the old man talking about what a ghost is, and it's sort of like it's a like super stressful moment. It's a vengeful spirit. It's like violence that happens, like without reason sort of thing it, like there's like four or five things talking about what a ghost is and we're, the whole time we're like oh we're talking about santi and then we find out that the story is actually being narrated by the ghost of the old man right who's like trying to say like this is what happened let's make sure it doesn't happen again but like i don't know i think it was a good or like morality tale it's a good story of history yeah you could have almost not had a ghost in it i don't know I think the movie, with minor changes, could have worked perfectly fine without a ghost. Still good with a ghost, though. Yeah. And I do, like, I do think that Del Toro, I think Pan's Labyrinth was a better allegory Mm -hmm. towards the Spanish Civil War Mm -hmm. than this movie was. Right. But it did use The Devil's Backbone did use the milieu of the Spanish Civil War very well. Yes, absolutely. Um, just because, like, it... Almost to the point where, like, it could have been anything. Like, that's how well it did it. It's like, this is this is the bad stuff that happened in this war. You're like, well, that could have been any war. It's yeah. Like, how well it right. was told. Where, like, the Pan's Labyrinth was pretty specific. Pretty specific to, about the Spanish Which Civil is maybe, War, like, that's... The fascist actors. Maybe he didn't the, think the, that... A, a movie about the Spanish Civil War, which took place like when when it came out like seventy years ago, like yeah. people would, like audiences would have resonated with it. But then like he 
this movie did well critically. But he's going to write it about the Mexican Revolution, which was what a hundred years ago. Yeah, well, well now like a hundred and twenty years. Yeah, ago or something. Which, <laughs> you know, that that one's a not as clear cut a story to tell because this this movie was like the war was is literally a backdrop where like yeah the Spanish Civil War is like his his speaking. You know, a hundred years later, we're we're kind of like, well, there's we there's the good guys, the bad guys. We're like, right. the Mexican Civil War was like, the revolutionaries were fighting for like poor farmers, and you're like, oh, that's that's a little different, right? right. Franco, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so right. it's just like you know, as yeah, it's, it's a little bit messier, a little different than a little the, uh, yeah, yeah, fascist insurrectionaries. And I think if I remember correctly, I, I mean, I think the Mexican Revolution had like three factions yeah um pancho villa uh emiliano zapata the, the, and then the, the third guy monarchist yeah. like you know rulers then there was yeah another one then you had like basically like communists yeah it was wild socialist uh faction um whereas yeah spain was a little more cut and dried yeah uh gotta gotta watch out for those pans and those pale man you know watch out uh, so we'll be back in a minute to discuss the four criteria we're going to use to decide which one of these uh, movie horror movies with kids was better. We are back. We've got four criteria here we're going to use to decide which horror movie with kids in it was the better one. Uh, Bob, we always talk about rewatchability. Which movie do we want to um, sit back and rewatch? Uh, what other ca- uh, criteria we're we going to use today? Well, of course, uh, talking about horror movies, we have to compare the scariness of these movies. Which one of the two scared us more to our core? Terrifying. Just talking about it. Um, uh, with our one, Mike? with our focus on uh, kids and horror movies, we're going to talk about. Which one uh, featured children more? Which one talked about childhood uh, in a realistic and horrific way? Uh, which one had uh, child actors that didn't completely piss me off? Because whenever you say, oh, kids in this movie, you're like, kind of roll of the dice. Is this going to be hit or miss? Is this going to be, you know, uh, a Christmas story? Or is this going to be... Um, you know, oh man, I can't even think of a bad one off the top of my head. That's how bad they are. Used most of the Corey time. Feldman in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. Very specific. That must be pretty bad. Because <laughs> I, when you say Corey Feldman, Not I'm, great. I'm thinking I'm like, oh yeah, you know when like the Goonies try and act, it's like Sean Astin being like, it's our time down here, their time's up there, but us, our time's down time here. Down here. All right, Sean. You'll go on to do better work. Don't worry, buddy. Yeah. Um, and then finally. Finally, um, as a, um, a surprise uniting theme on these two movies, which... The Spanish the Civil two... War. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> That's just the one. Which of these two movies is more worthy to be part of the Criterion Collection? Is this when we have to reveal that we're both part of the Criterion Collection committee? Because I'm not, but we this do would... not have to reveal. Okay, that. so we no, don't have secret, to secret ballots. Fantastic. Ooh, is that real? Yeah, I think so. That'd be awesome. Somewhere. I'm like, hey, I've seen like a thousand movies. They're like, that's not enough. 
I've been watching a lot of movies. They're like, no, man, you got to watch a lot of movies. Uh, I've seen Air Force One like 50 times. Fun fact. I think I should get to vote. One that like I watched, uh, there's this like um, YouTube film critic joke guy who's like, did this whole thing about Michael Bay movies. And it was really interesting. He's like, guys, I just need everybody to remember Michael Bay has a movie in the Criterion Collection. He does. He's like, it, this is not it's true. criticizing him and it's not criticizing the Criterion Collection. It's just, you need to understand, like, it's not about, like, oh, this is good or this is, like, you know, Acad- the Academy likes it or won this an Oscar. the list of the best movies. Yeah, it's like, yeah. He, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not good. Like, right. <laughs> just because you're pretentious about, like, pain and gain doesn't mean that like michael Bay is like every movie that does a slow like pan that i'm pretty sure really scott's like no i did it for gladiator like yeah but nobody looks as badass as you know will smith (laughs) and martin lawrence standing up they're just standing up why does it look so cool i don't know michael bay figured it out we're gonna do it in slow-mo really scott's like you're right I should have done it in slow-mo. I it's did. a true auteur move. He's like, no, but I built the, I rebuilt the Coliseum in CGI. You're like, yeah, but was it in slow-mo? And he's like, damn it. Oh, Million dollars down the drain. <laughs> um, so where do you want to start? This is, a, this is a good list for these two movies that I liked. That I think both... Uh, for, let's get this out of the way. But you should watch both of these movies. Uh, they two, don't two very good movies. They don't yeah. necessarily complement each other, which is like uh, I'm showing my cards. I think I already, I have one that's going to like outweigh most of these, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not both good. No, yeah, and I I, I think I mentioned earlier I don't think either of these films are either of these directors' best movie. Right. Um, I would say you know you know we we're talking about David Cronenberg. Um, he went on a run from something like 1977 to 1996. He went Shivers, Rabid, which I haven't seen, but I know are fairly well regarded as some early films for him. Then you hit the real Killer's Road, The Brood, mm-hmm. Scanners, mm-hmm. Videodrome, The Fly, Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch, and Crash. Not the uh, Matthew Dillon uh, Terrence Howard crash. Kind of scary though. <laughs> a little scary, but rather the James Spader X-rated uh, Holly Hunter, I believe. Is I can't. I, I can't be right. <laughs> There's no way that's right. I gotta look this up because if that's right, her career has taken some weird uh, turns. Uh, anyway, yeah. Great run by Cronenberg. Um, You're but, right. It is Holly Hunter. Oh uh, yes. You know, I would say. Scanners or Videodrome, or mm-hmm. uh, probably The Fly, right. are like... Iconic. Key right. icons, uh, you know, of, uh, A, of body horror, and right. B, of, of Cronenberg's filmography. Uh, and then Del Toro, you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with Del Toro, but, you know, he started with Kronos, then went to Mimic, then Devil's Backbone, then Blade Two, mm-hmm. Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, The Hobbit movies, Pacific Rim... Crimson Peak and the Shape of Water, Academy Award winner, with a little um, item thrown in there uh, after Pacific Rim before Crimson Peak, PT, uh, a video game. Oh, he did that. That he wrote and developed with, with Hideo. Uh, was it Hideo Kojima? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, um, a game I've never played because it was never finished. All that exists is about a 20-minute demo. So PT stands for playable... Playable trailer. Yeah. which So this is just something you would get in, like, a video game magazine. It's, like, something you could download for, like... There was, like, a year where right. you could download it. Yeah. And it's considered, like, the scariest game ever made. <laughs> and if you want to play it, like, you have to go on eBay yeah. to buy a PlayStation 2 <laughs> with PT already downloaded on it because they downloaded it 10 years ago. Yeah. Or Just PS3 insane. or whatever. Right. Um, so I've never played it, no. but it's apparently incredible. It So that's sort of... And it's not one of those things where it's like people are talking about it because it's unattainable. People are talking about it because of the quality of it. Yes. Like, they're... The, it, there I mean, was a, at the time when it came out, it, people were losing their minds. There was a recent, re, a recent within the last like three years, somebody like figured out they like game genie hacked the the game, and they were mm-hmm. able to like find out that like this ghost that like keeps showing up at like inopportune times mm-hmm. is just like following your character the whole time. You're like the only okay. way somebody like so that's just programmed in. Yeah. For whom? Like, <laughs> like this? Did the did the writers think that like it, the coders rather think that somebody was going to game genie hack it and figure it out? Because if anything, it, I'm at, I'm very dis discomforted by that, and yeah. I haven't played it. Right. Like that's the thing is like I I didn't play this game, but I knew about it. That's how you know iconic it, yeah, it is. Right. And, you know, so for Del Toro, I would say, you know, if I had to pick one movie to see from his... I would say it's Pan's Labyrinth. Like, That's the one I saw. It's it's a phenomenal movie. Um, I think if you want to see... Like, that's definitely his storytelling at its best. His directing mm-hmm. at its best. Hellboy does a great job of just that being... great. Sort of, like, not body horror, just, like, cre- like unnatural, creative, like... He, he is a... He's a genius when it comes to, like, creating monsters and creating entities yeah. that aren't just, like, humanoid. It's just, like, weird, like, larger-than-life, bizarre, mythological, like... Yeah. But, like, also just, like, not fitting anything. It's not, like, like... influenced by mythology, but its own thing. Yeah, it's like characters that are all red, or Jesus with three arms. You're like... You're right. It's, it's things that don't make sense, but when you see them, you're like, that's scary. Well, it works. <laughs> yeah. It, it's wow. like, it's deeply unsettling because, like, it's speaking to something that, like, you're like, I know this is wrong. Yeah. And not in the way where it's like, oh, this this person has two heads or vampire <laughs> oh, teeth. No. It's a dog with wings. You're like, no, this is like, it's, the guy has Mean eyes stuff. in his hand. You're like, that's. He shouldn't have eyes in his hand. He's like, I know. Yeah, that's, that's why it does. That's why it's scary. Um, yeah, and I don't know if you've um, if you've read any Hellboy comics. I've no. read a few. Okay, but he, he really captures the tone so, of Hellboy very well. So you, it's a great comic book adaptation. You mentioned both the comic book works that he's done and the uh, video game. It's like apparently he's on record as saying like he's very frustrated with like how those genres don't receive any, like, critical attention as well as, like, creative attention comparative to, like, movies. Like, movies are where people go... Creative people go to make money. Movies been high art for a long time. Where he's like, I don't... It's not fair because a lot of 
comic books and movies are very creative but aren't receiving mm-hmm. praise or acknowledgement and also people aren't going the amount of people creating artistic video games and comic books is smaller because it's there's not the public and interest because it's seen that way. yes right yes yeah and i do that said i think over the past especially 10 years both video games and comics are being seen more as a legitimate artistic medium. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's in part because of Del Toro's yeah, could be not only contributions, but just being a very public yeah artist right. in the highest sense, filmmaker saying no, these medium these media are just as valid right. of a form of, of artistry, of visual artistry, as movies are right. And the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, I think, is helping everybody out because mm-hmm. it's not complete bullshit. So, um, all right. So, uh, should we start with rewatchability just because it's on the top of the list, or yeah, do you want to save that one? Let's hit the. Uh, I think that's the most generic topic here. So let's let's start with that. I don't want to rewatch The Devil's Backbone because I agree, Mike. Because the beats are so emotionally resonant, but the story is so linear like mm. i know exactly like now that i've seen it i know exactly i could well, we retold it without having to rewatch it and taking we took some notes but not like very specific chronological notes but like the story itself just moves from a to b yes it has some flashes back but it's, it's there's like there is some complexity and in, like interweaving kind of narratives to it but it is the rewatch once you see it all it's pretty simple exactly there's no necessarily like third or fourth level of meaning that you could ascertain from a more than one rewatch um yeah so maybe there's some line like and i don't have it written down here but as um carmen lay dying mm-hmm. uh dr caceres recites a poem that he wrote and it just i just wrote a note there that like i like almost cried yeah watching him recite this poem it was just very touching which is like that's another thing where it's like this movie is like taxing on an emotional level where like i i want to rewatch the brood because it's like unsettling and scary yeah like yes it is like about a a a messy divorce with a custody battle and then like trauma yeah which is like it's all heavy but like the payoff is so different and like they're like it's so so much of it is subtle which is like it sound it's that's counterintuitive to what i'm saying but like the horror part is so subtle that i want to rewatch that and recapture that and see what i can get from it from a rewatch yeah i would say the horror of the brood is a bit more deep-seated um the kids are just incredibly unsettling right um Whereas, you know, the maybe emotional touchstones of The Devil's Backbone are, you know, richer mm-hmm. and more fleshed out, which is great, you know, makes it a great movie. But yeah, it it's it's going to be a long time before I rewatch Devil's Backbone. Yeah. But The Brood, yeah, who knows? I might watch that next October. It's yeah. Just, it, it was just, um, it was a bit lighter emotionally, so it's a little easier to watch. It's like a little 90 minute flick you throw on and right. get a little freaked out. Yes. Then you go watch something else or do something else. Because the story itself gets... The the narrative we follow gets tied up pretty quickly. 
Um, yeah. And I think that's... If you can tell a, a horror story quickly, I always think that's a little bit... I, I prefer a shorter... Like a two-hour horror movie has to really convince you why it needs to be that long. It does, yeah. It, it like it either to me like I'm trying to think of like a really good two-hour, full two-hour horror movie. Like I mean, okay, like The Shining would be mm-hmm. a good example. Like that, that's a long movie. That's a good yeah. two-hour, twenty minutes or something. That's a good point. Um, but it starts very slowly. Right. The gradual, and which is You're like only part of it. Scared yeah. for like an hour. Right. Because you you can't be scared for that long, right? Like, and it the still human, work. The, your body doesn't work like that, right? And that's why like movies like you know Saw aren't, aren't about being scared. It's like torture, you know. And it's like mm. so. It's yeah, just make make just flay my nerves for right. ninety minutes, and then bam, you got a good horror movie. Because Zodiac, I think, is just a. An excellent movie. It's so long, but I want to consider that long. I can't call it a horror movie. No, because some of its it has mystery some scenes that are incredibly scary. Definitely suspense. Definitely thriller. Possibly well, that's, I mean, that's detective. A, in the same way, um, uh, some of David Lynch's movies. Yes. Um, yeah, because he does make some horror movies, but a lot of his movies aren't horror per se. But his movies feature some of the scariest scenes I've ever seen in any movie. Alien 3? Yeah. <laughs> no, but, like, you can't no, see Seven. Oh, yeah, you're right. What did I say? Oh, you said uh, David, David Lynch. Lynch. David yeah. Lynch, yeah. It's like a Mulholland Drive. Yeah, you can't... It's, Winky's Diner scene. It's, yeah. You know, um, uh, you know uh, Inland Empire. It's three hours long, but it has, like, three or four scenes where... Right. You're losing your mind. It's so scary. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about scariness. So I can't give it to Devil's Backbone because the ghost isn't scary. Like, the scary part is thinking about the ghost and then the ghost shows up and you're like, this is not the thing you're supposed to be scared about. You're supposed to be scared about the pe- the people are the bad guys, not right. the ghost. Right. And I, I wanted that it's, to it's, show it's up. It's the threat of being alive. That's right. the scary part. It's the, the, the ghost does it easy. Yeah, the people who are committing, who, who made the ghost, the, who created this violence, created this like trauma, those are the people you're supposed to be scared of. And you're like, well, that's that's scarier than a ghost story. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what a morality tale about war is. You're like, oh, well, well I want to... The thing about the brood is you're like, what's scary is trauma. Also... These little like babies Fucking that form, horrifying. and they're gonna kill you. <laughs> it's just like murderous six-year-old. And I think that's why I I think the brood is scarier. It's not just like, oh, life is scary, but also there's these demons that come from like your rage, and they'll just I guess destroy everything they'll, around you. They'll kill someone in the street. <laughs> it's yeah. just like that's so scary because <laughs> like, um, I think like the sixth sense is a really good ghost story. But also, like, the ghosts aren't... The ghosts are scary, but, like, when we see the little girl ghost who grabs his leg, when the, like, definitely mm. one of the best <laughs> jump scares I can remember in my life. Sixth Sense. Um, it's just some... But then we find out that... Super the, scary scenes. The little girl ghost isn't the problem. It's the mom who killed her own daughter because she, like, the Munchausen's by proxy. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, like, that's the real monster quote-unquote monster here you know and that was the whole thing with george a romero and like the night of the living dead and you're like 
oh, we're safe. And then, like, the militia just killed the black oh. guy because they're like, eh, he was he probably was a zombie. A you know, it's like, and that's that's one of the oldest um, lessons you can get from a horror movie, and sometimes it's done really well. I And I thought The Devil's Backbone did a good job. Oh, yeah. But yeah, then yeah. sometimes it's done in a spectacularly ridiculous way. I want to bring up The Conjuring again. You're like, oh, these ghosts are trapped here. And you're like, and then you just watch a ghost like just punch a little girl in the face as hard as you're just like so i guess like people are bad but like oh, that's this, a mean ghost this ghost is throwing a child into the wall and I'm, <laughs> I'm watching it for like 10 uninterrupted seconds and i'm like is somebody gonna stop this ghost <laughs> like i guess also ghosts are bad like that's the lesson here and so like the scariness i think in a good horror movie is like people are bad but also this unnatural thing is happening too so I gave it to the brood for scariness. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to agree. The brood, um, there is, I think the brood um, threaded the needle quite well with evil kids stuff. Um, a, a movie we talked about previously was Chucky. Oh my god. Um, which was a great movie. So Love good. It. It's so funny. Scary in scenes. So there's now like a sci-fi original like uh, series series. about Chucky. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys, did you ever see the first one? Because it's really fucking scary. Yeah. I don't know what it is now because we don't really see him talk that much in the original. (laughs) But it's still like in Chucky, almost every scene of violence involves comedy. Yeah. Because he's a foot tall. Right. And you watch the movie and... I mean, I still, I've seen it a few times since we watched it, and I'm like, yeah, I just pick him up and kick him. Yeah. I just kick that little fucker out the window. He's, he's so small. Right. It doesn't, he couldn't kill me. <laughs> if I'd have been in that living room, that would have gone down differently. That's all I'll say. Uh, thanks, I mean, thanks, Mark Wahlberg. The, the thing is... Um, <laughs> if I'd have been in that airplane, things would have gone down differently. Um, oh, but the brood, it's, it's six-year-olds. Yeah. And, like, I feel like that's the age where, like, a kid is just big enough. Because it's, like, it's a, it's a hammer. They could fuck... Uh, with a six-year-old with a tool? Yeah. They could fuck you up. Yeah. You, they catch you unawares and smack you in the head with a meat tenderizer. That'll knock you down. And then right. And then it's game over. Right. And so not just the 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 believability of a, a violent, right. murderous six-year-old humanoid... But uh, as much as I love the design of the ghost in Devil's Backbone, the design of the, the brood kids in The Brood was extremely unsettling. So bad. Um, I do think it played a little bit into, like, I don't know if a cleft palate is scary per se right. today. Right. Um, I do think that, and I don't know, maybe I'm speaking out of turn. I do think that was one of those things that was, like, maybe it was, like, in vogue in the 70s that's yeah. like an affliction that like donate money to fix cleft palates but it's so visible right. of a uh, of a of a deformity deformity in a, in a in a child that you know it can strike fear in someone who has never seen that before yes and it's like oh my god what, oh there's all the mouth stuff right and then like I said earlier like it's not just the mouth it's like this like almost featureless face you know, teeth and the, the, the almost hooded eyes and 
the uniformity of the snowsuit. Right. The, the just very distinct. Everything. It, it was... Alien-like. Yes. But then also just, like, the Brood is a great name, which I'm frustrated that it's only used, like, once. But, like, you're getting yeah. the whole thing where it's like, this is not human. And it's not... Like, a Brood, yeah. by definition, like, is strictly... You know, the strict definition refers to birds. Oh. Like, it is... There, oh, yeah, there's not a brood of yeah. human. Right. Brood is like an avian thing, and, you know, which colloquially is kind right. of mean like a family or whatever. Right. But like a brood per se is like, you know, a hive of termites or like yeah. birds. Something dis- like distinctly unhuman. Yeah. In a way where you're just like. Something born from eggs. That, that born externally. That is different than us. That is threatening us, and that's what's scary. Um, so, which movie do you think featured kids either being scary or childhood in a way that made you feel the horror in a in a more you know realistic, palpable way? Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go? Uh, I'll take this one um, uh, for the kids. Uh, quality of kids. Quality of kids. Uh, you know, childhood storytelling. Uh, it's Devil's Backbone, all the way. Um, not a, not a full on runaway victory. Um, I think the brood approached the topic very well. It's very it's very sympathetic to the little girl in a lot of ways, but at the same time, she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time right. or, or lines, especially. The father is the main character. Yeah, and I, I I mean I would even say the father, the mother, and the therapist yes. are the three central characters. Right. The girl is more the you know not totally a MacGuffin, but like she she is she's a device for the plot. Yes, um, things keep which, happening to her. Yeah, there are a lot of good hints towards childhood trauma, um, uh, PTSD, not just as a child, but even as a parent. Things right. that um, you know adults can experience. But the devil's backbone, I mean, the main POV character is a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say at least the main two characters are kids. Mm-hmm. There's a whole, you know, what was there, six or seven kids in the yeah. orphanage, something like that. There's a gaggle of them. Um, and, and, and not just that, not just the quality of the acting, which is great from the kids. Yes, for sure. Um, but the, the more kind of unspoken themes of of the the horror a child feels the the fear and you know scaredness that a child fears um in unknown situations which then again relates into like the war as a backdrop is it's a whole unknown it's, right. it's a whole it's basically the world in turmoil you know in microcosm in spain um but these kids like the main kid, like his dad died and he's, he's on his own and he's in the orphanage. And then the bully kid, you know, he experienced this murder and he doesn't really get why. All he knows is that this kid, his friend, was murdered by a grown man and it could happen to him. And then Santi himself, as you said earlier, was murdered in a situation that he 
again, like he doesn't he doesn't know why. Like it's all like, there's so much mystery and yeah. and that I think really gets to the heart of horror itself is there's something not understood that is scary. Right. And the devil's backbone taps into that really well. And I think like we're one of the things that the devil's backbone does so well is like we see like Jacinto is a a, a product of that traumatic childhood and like but he's he, he chooses instead of like to confront that he chooses like the selfish option and mm-hmm. sort of like I'm gonna destroy everything even though I'm the only reason I'm here is this orphanage the only reason I'm messed up is this orphanage is his thinking and sort of like that's scary that like this person who you should trust who's stronger than you decides to abuse you and like take advantage of you and be selfish and like both movies have a child as the quote-unquote scary one like we have a ghost kid and then these like weird brood kids but then we find out like that the ghost santi isn't scary like we find out that he just exists and like you could even argue that like he's not the reason that like jacinto dies like we see the scene of him holding him down but really like the greed the gold literally sinks him right you know and like we you're like i don't i understand thematically why Santi has to hold him down, but like, mm. if there, if the, yeah. if Santi yeah. was just a story, you know, if Santi was just a story, like, it's it's also thematically s- sufficient for the gold that's literally holding him down to also kill Jacinto, and so like, and then I just thought they did a really good job of like showing how like these kids bond together. And, like, even though they're all messed up and sad that their parents are dead and that they've been abandoned and this terrible stuff's happening, they, like, can work together to not be completely miserable all the time. And mm-hmm. I, I was getting, like, strong, like, uh, Stand By Me and yeah. Sandlot vibes where it's yeah. just, like, this is what happens when kids are by themselves. They all sort of, like, develop weird personalities and, like, you know, like... Uh, traits that don't make a lot of sense yeah, but like these it, things just start expressing themselves they're just trying to be adults in a very right. mature and way they don't know how yeah but they they have to right they, which they is scary act. yeah um but yeah uh and then they have to like inflict violence to protect themselves which is like really messed up too um devil's backbone great job with making me scared for kids i guess like which is also super scary <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, and finally, um, we we don't watch a lot of Criterion Collection movies on purpose. It's always delightful when we watch one. Uh, Not for the podcast, at least. Yeah, um, I think the cook. I, I've seen a few. I think the the thief, the cook. No, the cook, the thief, her, thief, his wife, his and wife her, her. I think lover. that was a Criterion Collection. Maybe. Yeah, that might be. Because there's opera in it. <laughs> They had a Castrato just singing his ass off. I'm pretty sure that's a Criterion Collection. It was uh, a set the size of a football field. <laughs> that, like, had curtains. Yeah. <laughs> um, Any different colored lights. Which one do you think of these movies is belongs in a collection of criteria? 
Um, so I think this is a tough one because there, there's a lot of different ways you can approach it. Yes. Um, because I think, as, as we said earlier, I don't quite think that either of these movies make it in on its own. Right. Um, I think these movies are both in the collection because of the filmmaker. Yes. Because it, it builds yes. the, the body of work. It's almost like a precursor to the best of these filmmakers. It's like Christopher Nolan's movie Following. Yeah, exactly. Is yeah. like his first movie shot it's on six like good, for six thousand dollars. Interesting, and it, but yeah. it's like the movie before right. the movie came out. Um, so I mean, I, I I think if we are judging it on those terms, if we're including all context and saying these filmmakers, you know, Pan's Labyrinth, yes, Scanners, Videodrome, yes, these are great. They're in. Um, you know, uh, if I'm viewing it as like, which one of these movies is a better introduction to this filmmaker? If you're going to watch these in chronological order, um, I think I might have to give it to the brood, but I think if we're viewing it objectively, you know, the, take these films purely on their own, no context, I think it's a devil's backbone, easily. Um, I think it's just a better movie um, through, by most ways that you would measure a movie. Plot, story, characters, you know, set, location, all that stuff. Um, the Breed does a really good job of introducing, like, the nasty things that can happen to your body. You just, like, unexplainable physical afflictions that happen to your body that Cronenberg then explores further right. in his next movies that get really disgusting. Right. You know, full-on body trans modifications. Goo. Inside goo. Inside-out stuff. Yeah, a lot of just clear liquids. Um, but The Devil's Backbone is also a really great introduction into Del Toro's. Right. Um, into his kind of... I don't know, his body of work. A lot of ghosts, a lot of mythology. Very personal um, stories. Personal stuff relating to history. Yes. Um, uh, and when taken just by itself, I just I think the story of The Devil's Backbone is more... It's, just, it's a richer story. That, um, yeah, absolutely. So in that regard, I'm probably... Yeah, I, I'm... I'm leaning strongly towards Devil's Backbone. That's great. Um, I think you, you hit it right on the head where you're like, it's a richer story. It's a story that like says more because it's taking mm -hmm. a perspective that... it. Yes, it's obvious that war is bad for kids, but like this is... It, it's a personal take on that. Um, right, yeah. Any, yeah. any movie can say war is bad. Some of them don't, it's though. A, it's, it's a real... Some of them don't. Because, like... But it's a real easy story to tell. Saving Private Ryan is like, yeah, war is kind of bad, but it's pretty cool, too. But it's... Yeah, it's kind of tight. Um, so, the reason I'm giving it to The Brood is because I think it tells a story that is so insanely personal... And mm -hmm. then takes it in such a 
original isn't the word I'm looking for, but like new way where it's just like, oh, like divorce is messy. Psychotherapy in the 70s is weird. Oh my God. (laughs) These are, you know, uh, mutants of rage that are murdering people. Because it's like that, it's because of like the super personalness I think that's it, it shows something where it's like hey you can take writers directors you can take something that happened in your life and turn it into a movie because maybe it's going to resonate with some people just the same way that Kramer versus Kramer resonated with David Cronenberg in a way where you're like this isn't reality I want to tell the truth and then you're like well what if I tell the truth but then it's like bizarre and like I and I I want that to be part of you know canon where it's like you don't have to tell i think you should tell a good story by getting people involved with something that they would recognize and sympathize with and then just just go off the rails if you feel like it because like you know i would rather watch a movie that leads me somewhere i've never been before then it's like yeah. hey you know war sucks i'm like no nah, i know war sucks you're like yeah but we're gonna make you real sad and i'm like oh <laughs> shit no. where it's like hey you know divorce and custody battles suck you're like yeah you're right you're like but yeah. what if no. what what if there was i already, I already saw it come and see what about plasmas psychoplasmas so. i'm like i don't know yeah. what, what's that and you're like price of admission that you know that i think that's what a good movie is is like it, it it's sometimes absurd yeah and I, I mean i do think there is uh something to say to that too i mean i i think i've never seen kramer versus kramer but as far as i know like kind of the historical significance of it is like that was like the first movie to like feature to yeah. be about divorce yeah and then mrs and doubtfire soon out, after but i mean mrs doubtfire is like the quintessential so, that's how most divorces work yeah i think is mrs doubtfire Pierce Brosnan is going to be your stepdad. You're like, I'm conflicted. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a drive by fruiting. <laughs> it's so sad of a movie, though. Uh, it's it really so is. sad. It's sad. It's like, guess what? Divorce is sad. Top 10 sad movies. <laughs> this is Delphi. Kids, especially. Yeah. Very sad. Um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas doesn't know what he's. No, it's one of the. It's the other one. Yeah. JTT, uh, Man of the House? No, that's not it. It's the guy. He's a brother, and he was eventually on uh, Boy Meets World. Oh, goddamn. Okay. Um, you, uh, you, Ethan Suppley. Yeah. It's definitely the guy who was in Butterfly Effect. <laughs> That's who I couldn't think of, Bob. Come on. He was eventually in Boy Meets World. Joey Lawrence? Matthew yeah, Lawrence? no, it's Lawrence. One of the Lawrence brothers? Yeah, you got it. It was Matthew Lawrence. Oh, I feel so stupid. Yeah, he's so, an idiot. Um... <laughs> That's my I, I, that's my horror. <laughs> it's not knowing Matthew Lawrence's name off the top of my head, but I know who not, Ethan Suplay is off the top of my not head. Not immediately knowing all Lawrence brothers is, is my horror. I knew story. it was wrong that it wasn't JTT though, so I guess that's halfway there. Um, but, but but yeah, I I, I do think uh, the Brood occupies a, an important space in the divorce movie canon. Um, Gotta be the first horror movie divorce movie. Right? Uh, I don't know what happens. What else is there? I don't know what happens in The Omen. I just remember that his nanny's like, this is for you, Damien, and kills herself, and everybody's like, well, that's not good. They don't get divorced. I, I don't know. Like, they stay together? <laughs> the mom gets killed, maybe? I hope. And then the dad, Gregory Peck, 
teams up with the priest. And I didn't see it. It's been a while. I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, the remake, pretty solid. Okay, pretty well solid. maybe I'll watch that. Then. Lee Shriver. Oh, he's scary. Yeah. Does he play? Does he play Damien? Yeah. <laughs> Green Four, screen. Forty-year-old Lee Shriver. <laughs> he was forty-year-old then. Too. <laughs> plays Damien. And then, pretty convincing. Who's his? Who's his wife? Um. Uh. Uh. Matthew Lawrence. What's your name from uh, 10 Things I Hate About You? Oh, Juliet Stiles? Juliet Stiles. Oh. Juliet Stiles, I think, is the mom. In the that tracks. Movie. That sounds right. Juliet yeah. Stiles, Lee Shriver. Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds solid remake. Um, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think Devil's Backbone should get kicked out, and I don't think The Brood should be like held as every movie should be like this in and the I, Criterion yeah, Collection. Same, but vice versa. Yeah. It's just like, I think we need... The the idea of like creating a canon means that you have to have just some wild shit in there because like then others like you gotta cover your bases because I don't think like you can't just have the fly in the Criterion Collection because no. like it doesn't make sense by itself because like it is a that's a that's a like. A hubris story that's like a greek tragedy right and i think like and it's great yeah i mean it's like that is the fly is in the holy trinity of right. like 80s horror remakes yes right the fly the thing and the blob oh man the blob is such a good movie <laughs> really both is. of them are that's really the issue is. is like it's the only time you can think of a remake where you're like i but it's not they're better they're than it it's, yeah it's just like <laughs> It's just totally different. It's like, hey, what if we took the same idea and just did something different? And you're like, isn't that... I guess that's what a good remake is, right? It's yeah, just right. like... <laughs> same take property. thread. Yeah, and, and creative. Create a whole new story with it. So I guess what I'm saying is, can we see a remake of The Brood? I don't know if I'd be okay yeah. with that. Ooh, I mean, that, I'm going to throw up either way. So. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Um, we're looking at our our, uh, our scoreboard here. Devil's Backbone held its own, uh, especially because this is horror movies about kids. Um, but The Brood walked away as the scarier, um, more rewatchable movie about... Definitely scarier. Uh, about horror, kids in horror movies. And so, to be fair, if we're watching horror movies, mm-hmm. I want a scary movie. Right. Unsettling, thought-provoking, sad... All good traits of good movies, but not yes. necessarily a horror movie. Right. Um, we'll be Especially back. something that maybe could possibly be like an October mainstay. Yeah, you know? I, I think that's no the one, best part. No one's watching The Devil's Backbone every year. Yeah, The Devil's Halloween. Backbone isn't something you're like, oh, let's... Hey, I don't know. I mean, some really sad person might watch that every year. Yeah, but not in October. You wait until it's like, you know, February. <laughs> what, well, it's Valentine's what Day. Time to put on here? Devil's Backbone again. <laughs> Snack this baby out. Watch Love Actually backwards. That's pretty sad, I guess. So, Ooh, yeah. Um, so we'll be back in a minute to give you another recommendation of horror movies with kids in them. Alright, it's that time. We're going to give you a recommendation. This time we're telling you a horror movie with kids in it uh, that we think you should see. Definitely check out The Brood, check out Devil's Backbone, but um, I'm going to recommend the American remake of The Ring. 
Um, I can't Excellent. I can't necessarily Remake. stand behind Ringu, the original Japanese, because I know I watched it, mm-hmm. but I would have been like 19, and I can't remember. Like I think the best parts of the movie were kind of spoiled for me by the original, so I couldn't, or by the remake, so I couldn't be like, oh yeah, this is, because like the best parts of the movie are like. Some of these shocking reveals. It, it it does an amazing job of being like, you, you know, the real monsters here are the people that killed Samara. Mm-hmm. So Samara, right. um, and you're like, okay, yeah, you're right. Oh wait, she's coming out of that TV, and she's gonna yeah. she's gonna kill you. <laughs> you're like, uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like, the horror of a horror movie is people can be monsters. Mm-hmm. You're like, and then you accept that, and you're like. But also, oh, no, wait, like, but the monster will also. Kill there's you. like a fly in the corner, but it's also in the footage, and then the horse tries to jump out. It's like it's so creepy, and none of it. Like, you're like, oh, but there's all these plot holes and stuff. And you're like, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. I remember I saw it in theaters, and a woman in front of me. She was she's a teenage girl. In front of me, when she came out of the TV the first time, she screamed until. The scene changed. <laughs> That's three uninterrupted minutes of just her shrieking because, like, you're like, no, that's it's just a it's just special effects. You're like, no, she's she's crawling backwards in the room and her face her face is covered by dark hair. You're like, that's so scary, incredibly scary. And you're like, oh, something's coming. Ring, it's one of those movies that it's not just the jump scare. It's between every jump scare is just an incredibly just stomach sinking yeah. feeling of dread and the th- through the whole movie the thing that is d- kind of hard to remember like well it's not hard to remember it just doesn't like blip on the radar as much as because like it was made for teenagers but like the main character is a mom and she's doing all this like a 10 year old kid because the little kid watches the ring video and so like he's the one who's gonna die in seven days and that's the premise but also like the murderer this like crazy tv girl she's also a kid so like there's two kids one's going to be killed and the other was killed and is now enacting revenge through a vhs tape so like it it has two kids in it but like you kind of don't remember that because it's like i think that was the in, in the original yeah. is like that's the scarier part and then it came to america like no there's gonna be like there's a fly in the corner and then like it gets stuck in your face and you're just like, <laughs> very i haven't i can't stand by any of the sequels i think there's at least there's i know least, there's two there's i know two. there's two i can't yeah. remember if there's a third one but the ring the original ring one of the first like scary movies i ever saw and still I I, th- I think it still holds up. I haven't watched yeah, it in ten years. Totally, yeah, I, I watched it this year. Uh, the remake totally holds up. And for all my succession heads out there, great uh, Brian Cox turn. Uh, is he the boyfriend, or is he? He's he do, what's he doing in there? Samara's dad. Oh, okay. Or he owns the videotapes. So I think he's the dad. Okay. She visits him after the after the ferry ride. Oh, so scary. Okay. All right, take it away, Bob. Yeah. What what horror movie with a kid in it do you want to recommend? Horror movie featuring a child, and I think for our uh, just little definition of terms here, child. I'm not including teens. Okay. In this. So I think discussion. I know what you did last summer doesn't count. 
Yeah, throwing it right out. Okay. Oh, um, so I guess my, my movie was technically a ghost story, scary horror movie. Yeah. But also there's some body horror in it because she doesn't have fingernails there's and you some, can't see her face. some nasty stuff going on. Yeah. Okay, um, sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, ghost. A Japanese ghost story. Yeah. I, you know, I think that kind of okay? J-horror yeah. adjective is very applicable yes. to, the, to the whole aesthetic of Ring, the Ring. Right. Um, not Ringu. That is the original. The original, yes. Um, but my choice would be, uh, I believe it's the 1990, maybe 91, uh, Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. Ooh. Um, Terrible. An excellent movie starring um, the boy who is the pitcher in the Sandlot. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's uh, he's the main character. Uh, and Ving Rhames is his, his dad or his uncle. Okay. Um, so, um, and it's a, ah, let's see, they're either in New York or Chicago. And Ving Rhames is, so it, it's it's a very racial and class conscious movie. Right. It's a little black boy and his black uncle and they're poor and they decided to knock off this home in this, uh, gentrif- this rapidly gentrifying part of town. And it's this huge old house with this old couple, old-ish, the 50 or so. Um, um, and I forget the actor's name, but it's, uh, I think it's Big Al from Twin Peaks is the dad. And, and maybe even maybe even uh, Norma from Twin Peaks. I forget who his wife is and people on his stairs. But this old couple who are basically a straight up, it, it, it's, it's Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Huh. That's who they are. Huh. And, she hates and drugs. Very into yeah. He's a cowboy. Hates drugs. He's a cowboy. They're very into quote unquote cleaning up the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, basically all the kind of uh, I don't know. Basically what you think of when you think of Ronald Reagan. Right. Um, anti crime, anti drug, pro. America, yeah. patriotism. Trickle down. Pro. Take care of the rich. The poor exactly, will take care of yeah. themselves. Rich get richer. Uh, poor can figure it out. And the boy um, is the first one to break in because he's the smallest. And he finds out that there are, spoiler alert, people under the stairs. I'll bleep that out for anybody who hasn't listened to it. <laughs> so. And it gets real wild. It's not the scariest movie you'll ever see, but it's definitely horror. It's it's really funny. It's not a horror comedy, but it's a funny horror movie. Um, and uh, just some really salient uh, commentary on 80s, uh, you know, Reagan America. And basically all of the bad things that that implies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I it. those are the best horror movies are the ones that don't necessarily fit into a specific category, you know, where it's like, like the Babadook is a great example yeah. of modern horror that's like it's scary as hell. Starring a kid, yeah, a kid, and it's and it's just scary. Distinctly not like you can't explain it to other people without just like this is what it's about. You're and like, then, what? Yeah, yeah, another another modern movie that kind of. I don't want to say invented its own genre, but kind of transcends genre is um, 
It Follows. Yeah, that one's amazing. Uh, now that falls a little bit more into teen horror. Right. But it's, you know, I'm not spoiling anything because it's the opening scene, but it's basically a sexually transmitted ghost. Right. That just never It plays into slasher conventions. moving. But it's not a slasher. Right. And it's only one person, and it can it can move on to a different person, and it, it, an incredibly scary movie. I mean, right. it's one of my favorites of the past ten or so years. Yeah, because it's the again. It doesn't fit neatly into any pre-existing category. But it's a simple premise. Very simple. Executed simply, and it is so very, so very uncomfortable. Oh, ooh, very unsettling. Yeah, good stuff. Um, we'll go ahead and throw those in there too. <laughs> Just yeah, go see those movies. Because, like, I, there are a lot of horror movies I would not say to not watch. Like, a bad horror movie's fine, you yeah. know? But, like, a truly good one is so rare. And I thought that, the, like, there was a run for a while of, like, really good ones within the last ten years that mm-hmm. weren't giant blockbusters. Like, like everybody knew about The Ring. And I think The Conjuring... Oh, yeah, The Ring was huge. The, the Conjuring con- made tons well of it's now like the annabelle verse sort oh, of yeah, like right yeah, and like the first of like a 12 movie same thing universe paranormal activity insidious both of them were fine and then yeah. now there's like 50 of them and i'm just like eh. you know like i'm not gonna watch all of them but because i don't know why i want eh, maybe i just don't want to and it's like because like the, watching them the first one was so good in what they did, I'm just like, oh, what are they going to do Why with the sequel? And they're like, no, this one's got Annabelle in it. I'm like, yeah. All right. Is that Dal in that scene? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Is it Chucky? They're like, no, but we're going <laughs> to merge him in the sci-fi totally original TV down. series. Um, okay, so that's brought us to an end of this. Do you want to plug anything? Do you want to recommend anything before we close up? Um, I would recommend... Um, Hugging your loved ones at this Christmas time. Smart. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year's to you, Mike. Thank you. And to you, our listeners, um, for that time of year. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just that time to appreciate what we all have. And watch some horror movies. So that's what I'm plugging. Uh, apparently... Go watch Silent Night, Deadly Night. It was apparently, like, a tradition when, like, you would read ghost stories around christmas time it's just oh, a it's common that, thing it's, it's that line in uh yeah sterling ghost, ghost stories of days long stories of christmas long long ago yeah yeah my parents never read me scary ghost stories around christmas i don't it was but they should have i don't know when that went out of favor but like that like christmas ghosts christmas carol is sure. just for ghosts visit ghost this story. man right. so who knows? Um, so this has been Comparing Apples to Oranges. I'm Mike. And I'm Bob. And remember, when comparing apples to oranges, it's all fruit. There'll be parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmas as long, long ago. It's the most wonderful A little bit of Christmas music there for you. That's Kylie Minogue. Remember her? Apparently she's still like putting out bangers. That's great. Thanks for listening. That was episode 68 of the podcast, and I hope you liked it. I uh, got that blogger site up to date with past episodes of the podcast. You can check that out at the 
Cato, C-A-T-O, podcast.blogspot.com. Got a couple good articles and a good trailer in the show notes for you, so go ahead and scroll down to check those out. Comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast, send those too. Our email is Cato, C-A-T-O, podcast at gmail.com. The intro, outro, and music bed music was the song Thumbs Up by that great artist Leisure B. And if you liked his stuff and want to look up more of it, go to humanworkshop.com. All right, we'll see you next month. Bye.